Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We are in a series on Hanukkah. This is our third in a series. Go ahead and pull me down a little bit. I'm a little bit hot. Um, well, I'm always hot, but turn my vocals down a little bit. Okay. So uh, I'm in series number three. Hanukkah, more than conquerors. More than conquerors. The festival of Hanukkah. And, and what does Hanukkah mean? Dedication. Yeah. The festival of Hanukkah reminds us of what dedication looks like. It is a faith in God and a loyalty to his commandments that preserves us under great rejection and persecution. The spirit of this world hates Jesus and wants to breach our devotion to him and our allegiance to God's ways. It is crafty and it is relentless. But in the Messiah, you and I, we are more than conquerors, right? Like Judah, the Maccabee, and Judah was referred to as the hammer for reasons that we can get into later, but Judah, the hammer Maccabee, we will not give in or give up either, right? We are more than conquerors in the Messiah. And by the Spirit of God in us, we will persevere and gain the victory. And as a result, others will be inspired and join us in our love and fidelity to the King of Heaven and to His royal law. So welcome to number three in our series. Now, the motif of the story of Hanukkah is summed up in this New Testament passage, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. It says, Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. So what does it mean to persevere? It says, Here is the perseverance of the saints. Here are the saints who have persevered, right? What does that mean? The word means to remain constant to a purpose regardless of the obstacles or opposition. It means to be focused and constant in pursuing whatever it is regardless of the roadblocks, regardless of the pits, regardless of the enemies that stand in our way. That's what it means to persevere. I was a professional fighter for many years, world-class professional kickboxer. And you know, it was interesting when I first kind of uh, joined uh, a fighting school and was learning about how they kind of choose, who they're going to choose to kind of raise up. I always thought it was about your abilities to hit and hit hard. You know, you got to be able to just really hit and hit hard, right? And I remember my fight instructor telling me, I don't care how hard you can hit. It's not, a, it's not, it's not about your skill. It's not about how how fast you are. It's not about how hard you can hit. Because in the end, that doesn't matter if you're going to give up after being punched a couple times. No, your ability to take a punch is the first thing we look at. I mean, they throw you in with a number of fighters. You go, you know, uh, 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 a number of rounds with different fighters who are fresh and they just beat on you. I mean, and your deal is, is if you want to be part of this fight school and it's a great fight school, 
you got to endure all the punishment and show that trainer that you're ready to join that school and be one of those fighters. So they just look at whether you can endure the pain and the suffering and stay in the fight. And if you got that right, they can give you the skills. They can give you everything else. But if you don't got your head on right and you can't take the punishment, you'll never be a great fighter. Yeah, perseverance, willing to persevere under tremendous pain and hardship. That's what it means to persevere. This is never so true as it is spiritually. Think about it for a moment. Persecution from the enemy's camp. Now, we don't have a lot of persecution in our nation because of our Judeo-Christian heritage. There's a whole lot, though, in other countries. People actually lose their lives because they profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Tremendous persecution. But what we do have some oppression here for sure, and we do have some pushback and rejection here. So I'm going to talk about that because we live here, and so I want to encourage you with this. We get some pushback from those around us who don't believe. Sometimes we get mocked, other times ridiculed for believing in Jesus. We've all experienced that. John 15, 18 through 21 says this, Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, right? Don't be surprised. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So don't, don't be surprised when the pushback comes, when the ridicule comes, when oppression comes. Remember what the word says. Verse 20, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who has sent me. Expect pushback from the world. Expect some irrational hatred towards you. And don't take it personal. It's because of Jesus in you. Because you've embraced Jesus and are one with Jesus, this hatred's going to come towards you from time to time. Sometimes, sadly, the oppression comes from believers, right? Generally speaking, generally speaking, do you get marginalized for keeping the Sabbath rather than Sunday? Do you have family and friends that have marginalized you, kept you at a distance because you embraced the Sabbath rather than Sunday? I don't know about you, but I have, right? How many people have experienced that before? Isn't that just amazing? Our family clan, I grew up, I was raised devout Catholic. I have a beautiful Catholic heritage. Much of that I'm very grateful for. Our family was, was, if you could say, orthodox in that context, in that we observed all the feast days, and there's many more in Catholicism than there are in Judaism, right? And so uh, we were in church all the time. I was in a Catholic school. I went to catechism after school. I had this beautiful, devout Catholic upbringing. And the view of the Catholic Church is that there's only one church, and that church is the Catholic Church. 
And if you're not part of the Catholic Church, man, you're in a bad place. And so when I embraced the Shabbat as the day of worship and began to walk in that uh, commandment, my family clan, man, they flipped out. They, they thought I left the, the faith. See, see when, when, when I started going to a Sabbath congregation, they viewed that as leaving the church. And since the church is synonymous with the group who is saved, they just, they just thought, man, he's leaving, yeah, the faith. He's leaving Christianity. He's becoming a Jew. He's becoming a Jew. They were so upset with us. And of course, you know, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. There was just a lot of emotion. The result, of course, was that we were kind of disinvited to everything. And our family clan gets together over everything. There's, you know, they're always looking for an excuse to get together. We were basically disinvited for 10 years. I mean, we're like, what is up with that? They were still kind to us, but they just kept us at a distance. They made it known we were not invited anymore. I think they were worried about maybe that we would share that with some of our cousins, their children, and they were not going to risk their children losing their salvation in a Catholic mindset, right? And so they, they kept us out. That was very painful. Even today, even today, after being re-embraced by our family clan because they realized we didn't turn our back on Jesus. We love Jesus, right? We didn't become Jewish. We're Christian. And we just keep a different day. You know, the one Jesus kept. Okay. Um, so so, so we're, we're re-embraced, but I'm telling you right now, even though, even though we're considered in our clan, in, in our fold, right? We're still at the perimeter. You know, it's not like we're in the inner circles anymore, but at least we're in, and so we're grateful for that, right? It's amazing, though, how believing you know, Christians, fellow Christians can put us at a distance simply for embracing one of the commandments of God. And then there's opposition, of course, from Judaism, generally speaking, right? What are you told about the Sabbath? It's not for you. You're not Jewish. What, what are you doing? You're not Jewish. Go back to the church. That's where you belong. Now, if you really want to do the Sabbath, right, if you want to adopt one of these identity markers of the Jewish people, well, you first got to go through a conversion and become Jewish. Well, I'm not doing that. You can take my DNA before and after conversion. It's still the same. Nothing changes. I am Scott-Irish, not Jewish. We have the ish at the end. That's about the only connection. Scott-Irish and Mexican. I'm a Scott-Irish-Mexican. And that doesn't change when I come to Jesus. And you being Jewish doesn't change when you come, uh, come to Jesus. But we get born again, adopted into the family of God. And he writes the Torah on our hearts. We have the same way of life because we're in the same household with the same God. It's so, it's really so simple when you think about it. Things clear up quite well when you spend time in the Word of God. But if you don't, and you spend your time in the traditions of men, found both in Judaism and Christianity, sometimes that can get a little bit confusing. Even Messianic Jews will say loudly, this movement is for Jewish believers. 
please go back to the church. But if you insist on being here, sit at the back of the bus. You know? Now, not all Messianic Jews say this. Some of the larger organizations, they do. And in fact, one of the larger organizations even worked for years and years and years with brilliant, brilliant minds, PhDs, to put together a conversion in a Messianic Jewish organization so that Gentiles could go through a conversion, become Jewish, and join the Messianic Jewish movement. I mean, that's the, that's the very thing that Paul warred against. No, no wonder this movement is kind of like plateaued. People, it's not about ethnic status. It's about covenant status. And if you have covenant status, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, you're in. You're in. Now, as a follower of Jesus, what are we going to do? What are we going to do when the church pushes back and says, well, you're really not a part of us. Go be a Jew. And then you have the Judaism saying, well, you're really not a Jew. Go back to the church. What do you do when you find yourself kind of pushed away by both groups? What do you do? You persevere. You take the blows. You get back up and you get back in the fight and you don't give up any ground. You don't give up any ground. I've been in a couple of Messianic uh, congregations where they basically said, you know what, uh, we appreciate you, we love you, but we don't think you're a good fit. I always say, well, thank you very much. I ain't leaving, though. I'm going to stand my ground. I got covenant status. According to Paul, I'm a full citizen of the Israel of God. I'm grafted in. I got all, I'm an olive, I'm an olive too. I'm not an apple tree. I'm not an orange tree. I'm a wild olive branch grafted into your cultivated olive tree. I'm not leaving. We're not leaving. Say whatever you want. Give us your best shot. We're in the fight to the end and we will win. Win what? Our place in the sheepfold. Our place in the olive tree. Our place in Israel as Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles together, one new man. That's what this is all about. Now, I want to show you a picture of Jesus and what made him such a great warrior. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love Paul putting that in the context of sports. You know, just, you got to love that, right? Get this great cloud of witnesses. You're out there in the amphitheater, or you're out there on the, on the field, and everyone's watching, you know, they're rooting you on, and, and here's your chance. It's your race. You're the competitor. Finish, and finish strong. Isn't that great? I love that. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, my, my first fight, when I debuted uh, in terms of a professional fa fighter, just amazing. It was so amazing. I just was addicted. And, and, and part of that addiction to that 
was, was coming out of a room, hear, hearing the crowd, right, and then coming out and seeing all the people, and they're clapping for you. You get to play your theme song, you know, and, and you come out, and you get in the ring, they introduce you, and everyone's cheering. It's so, it's just like, it's just like, it's a rush, you know, and, uh, and of course, you got, you got lights, you know, and you got cameras, and it's just like, wow, it's just, just so much energy, right? And Paul's saying, hey, you're being watched. Your life's being lived now. What are you going to do when the enemy comes and swings at you, knocks you to the ground? Well, here's a crowd around you, and we're cheering you on. I remember my daughter. I tell this story. She doesn't remember it. Get her some therapy. It's there. Just need to bring it out. She's playing soccer. She's up at uh, Campion, uh, uh, a Seventh-day Adventist school, and God bless the Seventh-day Adventists. They've been so good in Messianic believers. They're just amazing, an amazing organization. But she's up there, and uh, they're in a soccer game. We came up to watch them, and, and uh, you know, Shannon's not the biggest kid on the block, so she's out there doing her best, and she's running around, and they were playing, I think, the first church of Amazon that day. <laughs> I mean, the smallest gal on the team I'm, like, looking up to, oh, you know, but I remember, I remember, and yeah, the story gets better with the telling, so, but I remember, you know, she, she, she's out there, and she's running, and there's this Amazon woman coming towards her, and she's got the ball, and she's running, and they just, like, collide, and she falls down, and this girl just continues to run while she's rolling under her feet, and she's, like, trampling on her, and she's caught up in her legs, which was not a big deal for the big woman. It was just like, you know, uh, a little tumbleweed down there or whatever. But she kind of trampled her. And then they blew the whistles and everything stopped. And she is just laying there in the, on the field. Both sides. No one, no one. It's just silent. Everyone's like, oh my gosh. You know, it just, just went silent for just a moment. And she's just laying there on the field. And I yelled out as loud as I could. I said, get up, McClellan! Just as loud as I could. She popped her head up, then she jumped up, and everyone starts clapping, you know, and they got the game, started going again, and it was amazing, you know, but I thought all she needed, all she needed is someone to tell her, get up, you're a McClellan, we're not staying down, and if we do, we're going down fighting, right? So, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. People, no one suffered like he suffered. The amount of pain that he went through, the excruciating pain he went through, none of us have went through. How did he do that? How did he endure that? It says because he focused on what would be one. He focused on the glory to come. And because he kept his eyes there, he was able to endure the excruciating suffering, the, the lashes, the crown of thorns, the crucifixion, despising the shame, and there was so much shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's become King of kings and Lord of lords. He didn't become the king of kings and lord of lords because he's the son of the king. 
He became it because he deserved it. He earned it. He won the battle. And he became king of kings and lord of lords. Now, the Sabbath is one thing. But if you think the opposition is strong because of the Sabbath, go ahead and replace the syncretized holy days with God's holy days. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Things get ramped up really quick when all of a sudden you're doing the holy days our Father in Heaven gave us versus the syncretized ones that basically everyone's doing around the world, both believers and unbelievers, right? It's true. Now, I'm telling you a, a recent story. My neighbor's over my house. Love my neighbor. He's a brother in the Lord. So he's in there, and it's all Hanukkah-upped, like, pfft, on steroids, because we've been doing this for many years. So it's just... Pfft. So he's in there looking around. He's just like a deer in the headlights, right? And uh, so I said, yeah, yeah, we're just getting ready for Hanukkah. And, uh, and of course, he has no clue of any connection between Jesus and Hanukkah. It's like they're just, there's no connection there. He says, yeah, well, we're getting ready to put up our Christmas tree. I said, yeah, yeah, great, yeah. I said, uh, we celebrated the birth of Jesus back in the fall. Yeah, we were back in, you know, September, October. That's when we celebrated the birth of Jesus. We've already done that. He goes, he goes what? The fall? I said, yeah, tabernacles. I mean, I think his eyes crossed. I, you know, I mean, we went from a deer in the headlights to, you know, he's looking for exit doors, you know. I said, yeah, tabernacles. And I could tell right away, there is nothing connecting in his brain with what I'm saying. I, you know, I could have just been speaking in tongues, you know. And he goes, what is that? I said, well, you know, we, we kind of like celebrate Jesus' birth. We, we decorate little tabernacles instead of trees. He goes, like little tabernacles, what's that? I said, well, well we, we put one up out back. He goes, in your backyard. <laughs> I realized this conversation is not going anywhere. It's just like, it's, it's like we're from two different planets, right? But anyway, you know, we love each other. We love Jesus. And so, you know, everything's good. Um, even though I'm kind of like this alien from the northern region of the Milky Way system, you know. But anyway, we love each other. So, I want to tell you something. When it comes to walking in the commandments of God, the word for you is persevere. Persevere. You're not going to be understood. You're going to be misunderstood. You're probably going to be somewhat marginalized, maybe even rejected by your family and friends. You're not alone. The Lord is with you. You are not alone. The light of the world, who is represented in Hanukkah, is with you. Fight the good fight of faith. Stay the course. Your suffering hasn't been to this point. Your blood on the ground. So fight. Don't be a wimp. Right? Fight. Stand for your faith. Enjoy the seasons. Don't judge others for not doing what you do. Don't judge others. But don't you back down one step from what you're doing in terms of God's holy days. Now, 
There are many who believe in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. But there are many, or I should say, but how many are there that love and keep the commandments of God? Two point what three billion believers in Jesus? That's a lot of believers. But how many of those believers are passionate about the commandments of God? A large majority view the commandments as being done away with. The law has been done away with, right? So there's not a really big group in there that believes in the commandments of God. In fact, as time goes on and on, we're finding there are less and less and fewer and fewer that are celebrating the commandments of God. So what do we do? Well, like the days of the Maccabees, we stand up. We take a stand. We persevere. In the days of the Maccabees, all the believers were falling away. Why? They wanted to be like the world around them. They wanted to be accepted. They wanted some peace with their neighbors and some connectedness. Just like Jesus said, the world loves its own, and they wanted to be loved by the world around them. So what they do? They gave up the commandments of God in order to have connectedness, peace, and acceptance with the culture around them. This did not bode well for them. First Maccabees chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading, it says, in those days there emerged in Israel a group of renegades who led many people astray, saying, let us enter into alliance with the Gentiles around us. Many disasters have come upon us since we separated ourselves from them. How, how did they separate themselves? Well, they were walking in the commandments of God that made them different than the world around them. And that created problems. So they were saying, let's give those up so that we can all get along. This proposal received great popular support. And when some of the people immediately thereafter approached the king, he authorized them to introduce the practices observed by the Gentiles. Therefore, they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem, according to the Gentile custom, and they concealed the marks of their circumcision and abandoned the Holy Covenant. Thus, they allied themselves to the Gentiles, and sold themselves to the power of evil. Sellouts, traitors, they betrayed their trust with God, turned their back on the covenant, adopted the practices of the culture around them. And this was truly an evil that had come to Israel. Now, this is a reoccurring theme throughout the history of mankind. We see this over and over and over. We're warned about that in the apostolic scriptures. Not to be like the world. Don't be seduced like the world. Be holy unto the Lord. Walk in his ways. Paul says it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. What matters is keeping the commandments of God. The end times are marked with apostasy. Revelation 18. I want to read this. Verse 8 verses. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And keep in mind, Babylon hasn't existed for many centuries. It's code for Rome. John couldn't say Rome because it would probably be his head. 
So he's using a code for Rome, Babylon, because Rome, a world empire like Babylon, is seducing the people of God away from the covenant. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. And if Rome can represent Babylon, so can present day empires. Just saying. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a, a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immortality. Immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Revelation 18, 4 through 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, if you take the futurist or spiritualist view of Revelation, what you have is the vast majority of believers living in Babylon at the end of the age. Where's the people of God at the end of the age? Are they like the Maccabees taking a stand and living in the context of the covenant? Or have they made a covenant with the world, friendship with the world, and become like the world and is living in the world? Yeah, this angel says, there's your bride over there living like Babylon. Isn't that shocking? Keep in mind, Babylon is not a location. It's a system, a culture, a way of life. God's saying, don't become like her. Live for me. Come out of her ways. Come out of her values. Come out of her mindsets. God's call has always been the same. Choose life. Choose the good. Walk in my ways. The world will hate you, even lash out at you, but you persevere. Jeremiah 6.16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask which paths are the old, reliable paths. Forget the new age. Give me the old age, right? Ask which paths are the old and reliable paths. Ask which way leads to the blessings. Live that way. Find a resting place for your souls. But you said that you wouldn't Live like that. You wouldn't live that way. Like the days in the Maccabees, most believers choose to live like the culture that surrounds them rather than by the ways of God. And in doing so, they become friends of the world. And the world gives them acceptance, peace, and prosperity. What they do not realize, that in doing so, they have become the enemies of God. James 4.4, you adulterers. Don't you know that making friends with this corrupt world order is open aggression toward God? So anyone who aligns with this bogus world system is declaring war against the one true God. In 1 Corinthians 10, 22, a similar context, Paul says, are you trying to provoke the Lord Jesus? Do we think it's a good idea to stir up his jealousy? Do we have ridiculous delusions about matching or even surpassing his power? 
as James puts it, I want to remind you, although you were once, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. This world is not your friend, and you're not stronger than Jesus, but you're going to have to choose. We choose Jesus. We're like the Maccabees. We're going to keep true to the promises of God, the promised seed, and we're going to keep the commandments of God. That's who we are. That's the harvest. That's our community. That's a number of other communities around the world, too, that have that same view, that same perspective. So the answer to all of this pushback, the answer to all of this rejection, the answer to all of this misunderstanding is the word Hanukkah, dedication. We'll make it through because we're dedicated to Jesus and the commandments of God. We are dedicated to Jesus and we make this dedication every year at this season because the war really ramps up in this month. But we're going to stay true to Jesus and his commandments. That's who we are. That's the meaning of Hanukkah. May we all be encouraged and be strengthened in this season. I challenge you as believers in Jesus to rededicate yourselves to God, his commandments, and his ways. It's hard. It's a lonely path. We get worn down from without and within, right? Sometimes we just give up and go back. I don't know how many people I can tell you that give up and go back to what they've always known. And I'm saying to myself, what? You haven't even been in a battle yet. You know, is your blood on the ground? It hasn't even ramped up yet. Yeah, if you can't run with the horse, how's the phrase? If you can't run with the footmen, what are you going to do when the chariots show up? You know? It's a people. Let's steal our hearts. Let's be inflamed with the power of the Spirit of God in us. Let's rise up and dedicate ourselves to Jesus and the commandments of God. Let's be like a Maccabee and persevere under the pressure. Be noble and loving, but allow no compromise with this pagan world in our lives. I don't judge the world. I don't judge people in the world. But I allow no compromise in my home and in my life. No friendship with this cultural madness all around us. It's freaking crazy all around us. No friendship with that. It's like a disease, man. Talk about social distance. I practice that with the world. It's gone mad. All its greed, all its sensuality. In our homes, we should say no syncretism. Don't point out syncretism in other people's homes. That's not your home. Leave them alone. Love them. But in your home, say no. You cross my threshold, you leave that stuff out. Be hot or cold. Don't be a fence sitter. God doesn't like fence sitters. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'll close, because I'm already over. But it's Hanukkah. So, my friend made me some, um, it was um, zucchini, fried zucchini, fresh out of his garden. He made fried zucchini, 
And I mean, we ate till, till we were full of it. And I got sick. I had some kind of food poisoning with that. I don't know, maybe it was the grace we used was so old, I don't know. I woke up in the middle of the night and my stomach collapsed and said, I'm getting rid of everything in it. And when that thing collapsed, I sat up and I shot a barrel of zucchini that went about 12 feet before the decline started. I mean, I mean, it was so violent. It was like, ah, it was like unbelievable. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know my body could do that. So much violence. Pitched that thing out 12 feet before it even started its descent. Unbelievable. And I was reminded, I was reminded of what God says in the book of Revelation. Be hot or cold, but don't be offensive or don't be lukewarm. Because if you are, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I imagine what his body can do. Not that he has a body, but in terms of metaphor and figure of speech. I wonder what he can do, what that means, that he's going to spew us out if we're lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold, right? Either embrace all the syncretism around you with all that's in your heart, or embrace all the commandments of God with all that's in your heart. One or the other, but you can't be a fence-sitter. So be encouraged. Happy Hanukkah. Love everyone. Take your stand, and don't worry about the, what the world says. All that matters in the end is what your Father in heaven says. And never forget, you are a follower of Jesus, you're a lover of the commandments of God, and you are not alone. Lo, he is with you, even until the end of the age. Shabbat shalom.